Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on a whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast, exploring life stories through travel. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. BBC Radio 4's Jane Garvey has travelled extensively despite having done this under duress. She went backpacking as far as Belgium, didn't really enjoy herself reporting from the Olympics in Atlanta and doesn't really fancy going anywhere exotic like India. She does, however, have some brilliant stories to tell about her travels, which are surprisingly extensive, taking in Ghana, South Africa, seeing her beloved Liverpool play in Istanbul and plenty of Greece. Recorded in the auspicious surroundings of the BBC Cafe, it's Jane Garvey. Obviously, there's a lot of information about you online. I know who you are. I'm an avid listener to your podcast and your show on, on Radio 4. And I'm looking for connections with travel and I can't really find any. So I'm, I'm sort of scrolling through your Twitter feed. I'm thinking, she went to Greece. I'm listening to old yeah. um, episodes of uh, Women's Hour. And oh, I was thinking, it might have been fortunate of Women's Hour, but whatever. I, I found out that you went to Istanbul in 2005 for the Champions League, League final. final. Yeah. But I haven't found out that much information about your travels. So I'm totally winging it with this one. I tell you, I don't really like, I hate travel. So <laughs> I love it. It's a great start. I'm never happier than when I've come home. And have you had to travel through work yeah. under duress? Well, that's one of, the, one of the good things about working on uh, Women's Hour is that... Um, before that, I worked for BBC News. I worked for Five Live. And so if there was a news event anywhere in the world, you could be sent there. So and I was very fortunate. I'm not knocking everything about travel. So I went to the Olympic Games in Atlanta. I went to the Olympic Games in Athens. These are amazing experiences. And I went to the Champions League final, the game that Liverpool won famously in Istanbul in 2005. How privileged is that to have a brilliant, not just go, but to have brilliant seats and see everything and be there. It's an amazing thing. I'm guessing but you're a Liverpool fan. I am a Liverpool fan. I'm from Liverpool, so which is a place of travel, of course. It people, is. We will, we will get round to that. We will there, get round to leave. that. But I am one of those classic, it's not just British, there's classic individuals who, in fact, I noticed I came back from Greece last week. You get back to Heathrow and you go on one of those trains that connects you from your where you've arrived on the plane to the baggage reclaim. And there's a whole load of slogans on that kind of transit train thing. And one of them was, your first night back in your own bed or something. And I thought, oh, yes, that's that's so me. I can't wait. I've only been away for six nights. That's I think pathetic. that's not uncommon. I mean, I Isn't love okay? travel, but I love right. also love coming home. And I think that's one of the reasons that people that do travel, whether that's consciously or subconsciously, so they can so actually they can come home, come home okay. and appreciate home more. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going home now, but you've been at work for <laughs> seven hours. Well, it's nice that you've got a short show in that way. You know, you sure. can, you know obviously, mean, you've got to prepare oh, and everything. Yes, I mean, the hours I put in 
into that, you would not believe. No. Is, that, is, is that serious? That is. You must not be. really. No. <laughs> uh, no, well, uh, no, I shouldn't lie. Uh, there, is, there is a certain amount of working from home, of course, that you have to do for any programme like that. And obviously, it's reasonably topical. So I might leave physically leave this building at 2 o'clock, 1 o'clock, um, but I might still be working at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night. Not still be working. You know, after after dinner, I might then go back and do a, an hour or something. And you've got your podcast as well, which I'm yeah. really enjoying. And that's uh, recorded like we are now in the BBC cafe and wherever you can grab a corner and yeah. grab hold of someone. <laughs> Tell me the idea behind the podcast. Well, the podcast uh, that I do with another Radio 4 presenter, Fee Glover, is called Fortunately. It was called Fortunately by the BBC. It wouldn't have been my title. And that was because we were meant to reflect what was going on on Radio 4. Get it? which is the BBC's leading speech network. Actually, it took me a, a minute yeah, to get Well, that. it took me a minute, more than a minute, which is why I don't like the title. And initially, the podcast with Fee and I was meant to be us talking about programmes we'd heard and stuff we wanted to recommend. And it quickly became clear that actually what people really wanted to hear was just women talking in a way that, with the greatest respect to Women's Hour, we cannot do on live radio, but we do do in our real lives without even realising it. And so Fee and I... Who are fr we are friends anyway? We just thought it'd be a great idea to to do something together. I've heard it called, and this is a really good, accurate description. Actually, it's like w a continuation of Women's Hour, but if you're slightly drunk. Yeah, after hours, when you're halfway, well, no, three quarters of the way down the first bottle of prosecco. I love that. I like. Yeah. I love Women's Hour. I like being slightly drunk. You know, I like being yeah. more than slightly drunk on occasion. Yeah, uh, it is very good, and that's probably why I'm enjoying it. So, travel-wise, you haven't. You've travelled under under <laughs> duress, yes. but you were born in Liverpool in yeah. 1964, and that yeah. seems like, I mean, obviously you were just a tiny baby when you were born, as we know, but in the 60s in what Liverpool. What a place to be born. What a place to be born. But of course, I'm, I'm from a, a family of ultra-cautious people, so I always say the Garvey family motto is, I wouldn't if I were you, which if we could find the Latin for that, I'd be really grateful. I would, I would literally have a crest made and I would put that underneath. Uh, so somebody somewhere find out what that would be in Latin. I said to my mum and dad when I was old enough to care, did you did you go to the cavern? I was born in Liverpool in 1964. And mum said, oh, no, 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 the cavern was very rough. Oh, my dad said exactly the same. No, you wouldn't. Go to the cavern. Oh, no. There was sweat dripping down. Oh, no, 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 we didn't know anyone who went to the cavern. See, my mum was going to the cavern. See, this, this well, is probably the difference between us. I'm from the rough side. We're from Birkenhead. Oh, well, we're from Bromborough, from the posh side of the that, city. They that say, is, that is quite posh. I mean, my family grew up, my mum grew up in Bootle and Crosby, and my dad's from Crosby, so... Yeah, they probably did realistically think it was a little bit, a little bit too common. Well, clearly they did because that's why they didn't go. It's clearly but that my is, mum is quite common. She had a great time. Though, did she? Okay. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd like to meet your mum and hear about the time she had because my mum did not have that time. And also, they were having a child in 1964, so right. you know okay. it's, that was around the time. Was it 1963 where, where the Beatles were right at the top of the charts with "Love Me Do" and, and things like fair, that? To be fair, actually, by the time I was born in 64, uh, the, the Beatles had left Liverpool behind. I think. Yeah, um, never to return. Well, apart from the quite, odd visit. Not quite with true, James Corden. Paul, yeah, did get went back to James Corden, but actually, 
couple. McCartney does have a, there is a, they have a family house. Yes. In the area, don't and they? And he's got his, uh, is it called Lipper, what's it called? His yeah, performing, performing arts, arts studios. Yeah, and actually I think on the quiet, or maybe not even so much on the quiet, he does still does a lot for Liverpool. Yes. So you went to university in Birmingham. We're going, we're doing all the good places here. We've got right. Liverpool, we've got Birmingham. You have done. You went all the way from Liverpool to Birmingham. How yeah. was that? <laughs> I only went, I shouldn't say this, I went to Birmingham because it was the only uni university that offered me a place. <laughs> It wasn't like it was my ambition to go to Birmingham. It was harder to get in then, to be it, fair. It, was, it, it is a good university. Birmingham is a very different place now. Oddly enough, I still have a connection with Birmingham, so I work for the NHS in Birmingham. I'm on the board of the big hospital, the QE in Birmingham, University Hospitals Birmingham, which is a great uh, NHS trust, and I'm very proud of my involvement in that trust, in that arrangement. So it means I still go to Birmingham about once a fortnight, at least, and it, you arrive at Birmingham New Street Station now, and it's not how it used to be when I was a student there back in the 80s. It was a very dark, depressing place. The bull ring, oh, everything about Birmingham, the coach station. I used to get the coach back to Liverpool from there. Oh, it all, you know, ugh, oh, God. Birmingham is a really shiny, modern city now, and uh, it looks really, really good. I haven't been since the old days, and I oh, remember you, the bull you ring. Go. And, yeah, I, I'm hearing lots of really good things about it. There's posh yeah. hotels, I think there's like a hotel divan and, and nice yeah. bars. It's always had that lovely canal area as well in Birmingham. More canals in Birmingham than the whole of Venice, you know. Really? Oh, I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, yeah. This is what you see. I am travelled and I have been to places. For a non, for someone who's travelling under duress, you have, you've just educated me yeah. about Birmingham. Mm. Birmingham. It's like I've never been there. I don't yeah. even know how to pronounce it. So um, when you did start to travel, you just mentioned that you went to the Olympics in Atlanta. Yeah, which is horrible, by the way. <laughs> um, not Atlanta, although I wasn't massively keen on Atlanta. I mean, obviously, as, as an Olympic journalist, you're... It's that awful expression, the Olympic family. You know, you are looked after, only to a certain extent. I'll always remember the International House of Pancakes opposite my motel, where I would fine dine every single morning. A big <laughs> stack of pancakes. Massive stack of pancakes and a brilliant waitress who would, by the day two, would greet me with a real smile and say, do you want your usual? That's what I love about classic American service, which, to be honest, you don't really get it in Britain. You still don't really get it in Britain. And you certainly didn't back then, which is 96, the Atlanta Olympics. It was a terrible Olympics for Britain. I don't think we won anything except the inevitable Steve Redgrave gold medal. I think that might have been his first gold medal in 96. But anyway, he was the only British gold medal. These were the bad old days when Britain wasn't that much good at stuff like that. And I was doing the Five Live breakfast show. But because of the time difference... It was absolutely crippling. So the show would start at two in the morning, Atlanta time, and finish at five. And we were doing it just to make things harder for ourselves, not from a radio studio, but from a diner, an all-night diner in, a, in the suburbs of Atlanta. And I just, by the end of two and a half weeks of this, I was an absolute beaten woman. Came back quite ill, which I think a lot of people do from covering the Olympics. I think there are lurgies that go round at all these things. It's like an Olympic illness. Yeah, seriously, I think there is. And you're um, not gonna you're not gonna necessarily see much of Atlanta if you're working. If I you're didn't running see to go from a, a diner no. in the suburbs at two o'clock in the morning, you're gonna see the suburbs at two o'clock in the morning. I did see those. It's quite se it's very segregated though as well, Atlanta. It, it just it didn't have the feel of a place that was entirely at ease with itself. I think also it's, it's run by Coca-Cola and those were the Coca-Cola Olympic Games. Athens, where I also was lucky enough to go, it was a much 
more positive. I think it bankrupted Greece, by the way, which is unfortunate. But um, still recovering, or not? Maybe. Or, yeah, well, or not. Yeah. But all that really matters is that how I got on, and I got on fine in Athens. So I, I really liked it. That's yeah. another great thing about travel. It is quite a selfish experience in that way, and people kid themselves that they're going somewhere and you know spending their money when actually yeah. you know it is what about what it, it is about what you get out of it in many ways. Well, I was. Um, in Greece again last week. I am sounding like I'm always there for a holiday with my oldest daughter who is just about to, well, she's about to leave home, really. She's 18. And we were there with her best friend and her mum. And we had a great week in a beautiful house on a, a Greek beach, really their family house. And it was just absolutely incredible. And it did dawn on me, not for the first time, that there's a quality of life about living in countries like Greece. Okay, they may not have the greatest economy in the world. They may have all sorts of challenges I can't begin to understand. But you know that time very early in the morning in the summer, about 7.30, 8 o'clock, when it's just the weather and the temperature, they're just perfect, absolutely gorgeous. And you get these elderly women, and not just elderly, not just women, but taking their deck chairs down to the beach just to spend just an hour or two by the sea, having a coffee, chatting with a few friends, and then they disappear by half past nine, ten o'clock, because it was really too hot by then. And then again, they'd come out in the evening, back again about seven o'clock. And it's a very outdoor life, which is possible in those places, and I'm afraid isn't really true here, and quite possibly isn't true in the whole of Greece. But there's just something about living by the sea and being able to get outside. I'm sure it's better for older people. Everyone has that little fantasy when they go abroad and see these lovely mm. little places. But then, you know, like you said, after a while, you probably get a bit bored, do you think? When you say that, I had a week there. I was not bored. No, a week is not enough, though. Uh, maybe I would have been bored after three or four weeks. But you know what? I think I just get into the rhythm. I mean, there was a brilliant taverna up the road. Greek food is lovely. I suppose what you could argue is there's not a huge amount of variety. So you get your feta. Plenty of salad, Greek salad. Greek salad. And then big beans. And I'm a big fan of beans. I think they're really underrated. <laughs> but by night five, I probably was full enough with beans not to want any more for a while. Um, but also, I just thought the people were, the people, maybe I was just in holiday mode. I thought everyone seemed really friendly. What stopped you from jacking it all in and going to live? I don't know what, I don't know what stopped me. Well, the thought of this, I'd agreed to see you. So that was obviously a big thing. Um, money. <laughs> yeah, that was probably what brought me back. Money, drive, maybe. You've had a, a, a very successful career and you're now, would I, you consider yourself working part-time? Is it part-time or not quite? I work five days a week. I just don't work five days a week at Woman's Hour. Yeah. I mean, Woman's Hour is, is a part-time job, but there's quite a lot of other not stuff going, going yeah, on, exactly. which, is good, which is good and which I welcome. So where else have you been in terms of travel for either work or pleasure? I have been to Africa quite a bit. Well, quite a bit. I mean, I've been. I went to Ghana a couple of years ago for, if I'm honest, a slightly strange comic relief trip. One of those trips where you're dropped in for 48 hours and you sample some really hideous things and then before you know it you're spat out back at Heathrow. I'm not, I find that a quite disturbing experience. I mean it was meant to be disturbing but I'm not sure whether I really think that's the best way to tackle the injustices of the world to fly out a load of, I mean I wasn't a celebrity and I'm still not but basically I was with the kind of comic relief celebrity trip. I was making features for Radio 4. That was a bit, yeah, I've, I've definitely got qualms about that sort of thing. Not to say that Comic Relief doesn't do some good good stuff, but 
I'm not sure whether those things really are right or whether they work. And what um, were you doing when you were there? I was be- literally there for 48 hours. So I went around some slums, made some made some features. It was that, and then went back to my quite nice hotel. Then I came back to London, all in the space of a weekend. Quite challenging, and I'm not sure how much is really achieved. I've also spent a bit of time in South Africa with Five Live. We did a, a whole string of programs actually about the HIV um, problem and it was focused in our case on uh, a township outside Durban called Umlazi and we went back two or three times, I think it was three times actually, to this one township to just try to put across the challenge of, of the whole HIV AIDS problem, which is slightly better now but this was in the 90s and early 2000s and it was really, really tough for people obviously. What were the townships like? It was a cu- on the cusp of real change. So in Umlazi, they'd already had, and this was such a change for them, they'd already had some white people coming to live in the township. People who, for whatever reason, had been chucked out of white areas. I mean, I'm trying to think of the right phraseology for this. They were people who, to put it mildly, were down on their luck. Perhaps they had a drink problem or something like that. And they'd wound up living in a township, which would have been unthinkable a few years before the time when I went. But was, I don't know, I haven't been back since, so I don't know what the situation is like there now. And the people in the township on the whole were brilliantly well-organised, very dignified people, but they were, to put it mildly, up against it. It's, it's just the contrast. It's not to say there isn't poverty in Britain. We know there is. There are some terrible injustices in Britain. But when you see it writ large in a place like South Africa, and if you fly into Cape Town, you come into the airport over the, the Cape Flats and... and I mean, the absolute people living in shacks, completely destitute. And then we know the incredible, those amazing houses, largely, though not wholly, inhabited by white people. Um, they've got the swimming pools and the bars on the window and a, a, trick, a tricky place. I, I, um, it's like they're in these huge gilded cages and we don't really yeah. have, we did have those divides here, but we don't have them maybe so visibly. We definitely have those divides here. I think I think one of the most difficult things to talk about in Britain still is, is the whole class thing. And I'm really interested in talking about it, but it's it's amazing how people are still really squeamish about addressing all that. And I, I think I inhabit quite an interesting place because I am completely, uh, I'm 54, I am utterly liberal establishment, if you like, but I grew up in a perfectly ordinary, fair to say, lower middle class home. I went to a private school, but on a government grant, which was, which is a scheme called the direct grant scheme, which was abolished in the 1970s, but I benefited from it. So that then gives you a sort of a leg up, but it puts you in a slightly different place. It, ju- it changes you slightly. And I've got a lot to thank that school that I went to for, but at the same time, I'm aware that without it, I might have been a very different person. Did you ever have a Scouse accent? No, I did. Actually, I didn't really. I, I mean, I can do one, but I won't. <laughs> uh, I can certainly do one. I've never really had... A lot of people in Liverpool don't really have... I don't think my parents really have a Scouse accent. Yeah, my accent. parents I, don't have it. I mean, they're from the Wirral, no. but people in the Wirral do have no, a, a mean, form of Scouse accent. Yeah, they do, but there's a, a gentle northern accent. But I don't... I think the Scouse accent, there's the kind of comedy... Who's that guy who does the interviews with the big teeth? 
John Bishop. Oh, yes. He, he has an accent that I just don't recognise. Silver uh, Black also had an accent that wasn't really a Scouse accent that so I would It was very strong. And I think some people, such. maybe when, you know, when people do end up, say, working in, in the media or, or working their way up they through exaggerate. whatever industry, yeah. they either exaggerate it or they go the opposite way and become, yeah, yeah. you know, terribly... Received lost. English. Yes, received exactly. pronunciation. Uh, pronunciation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in a kind of strange... I sometimes do long A's and sometimes I don't. So my kids are London-born and speak with a southern accent and say quite naturally that they, you know, I'm going for a bath, bath. And I'm always slightly taken aback. I think, oh, what's, what's a bath? How no. can I have children that have baths? Well, yeah, well, well, I but bath. I'll, I'll just, I'll forget I should be saying bath and I'll say bath and they find it really, oh, how could you say bath? Sometimes you sort of change um, whoever you're speaking to, don't you? Yeah, you know, no, you do. go to like a two-week holiday in Florida yes. and come back with like a... You know, Stupid with a, American Yeah, accent, really yeah. strong. I think that's yeah. me. I don't hold with that. Uh, so what else can I ask you about travel? Oh, while we're talking about the townships and we're talking about hardships and obviously we don't want to... It's a, a, a travel podcast so we talk about good things and bad things but I, I remember and I read, uh, reminded myself of this, that you were on the one of our biggest train uh, crashes. Yeah. Yes, it was. that was in 1998. Do you know what? Until you mentioned it then, I hadn't really made that connection between travel and that train crash. And actually thinking about it, that is one of the reasons why I continue to be, seriously actually thinking about it, slightly resistant to travel. Funnily enough, I'm not, I, I should just say briefly that, unfortunately, seven people lost their lives in that accident. It was the Southall train crash. The train actually crashed at Southall, just outside the station there, on its way into Paddington. And um, I was extremely lucky not to be killed. I was very, very lucky not to be hurt. And I did spend about, it's hard to, time sort of has no meaning in those situations, but I was probably in the carriage waiting for the ambulance for about quarter of an hour maybe 10 minutes could be less and we were surrounded by people who were really very badly hurt and there were certainly people it was obvious without saying too much about what I saw it was obvious that some people were, were dead as well in the carriage in front and indeed unfortunately um, on the track so I think it does it doesn't dip, how does it define your attitude to it certainly has a long anyone who's been in any kind of severe traumatic situation will be impacted by it in one way or another but until you mentioned that to me today i hadn't re i haven't thought about that for a couple of months which is unusual because i it do, i do think about it i can't say i never think about it sometimes i'll be on the tube and there'll be a funny noise and it will bring it all back. And I just think, I suddenly find myself tensing. And I think, oh God, you know, what's, what's this now? And then it goes away again and I'm very rational about it. So I still travel very frequently on trains and tubes, but I fly probably only twice a year. And even then I don't enjoy it. It's funny, it's had much more of an impact on my attitude to plane travel than on my attitude to trains. Which is, Interesting, because um, lots of people do get nervous about plane travel, yeah. and actually it's one of the safest forms of travel. You're yeah, far no, more likely to have something wrong with your, to have a yeah. car crash. And I've never been in a car accident, so I, I know that, I, but I think what it has, the impact that's had on me actually being in the accident, and also reporting from it, which is a bit of an odd experience, and most people wouldn't have that. So I had just been issued with my first ever BBC mobile phone. So, because I had it, this is 1997, I think I might have said 98 before, it was 1997. It was just after Princess Diana had died, about a week or two after that. 
and I had my phone and so therefore I was able to report from the wreckage of the train on the accident I'd just been in, which is not an experience that I would recommend and I'm wondering now whether the BBC should even have broadcast it, but it went out live. Um, I've never listened to it and I never want to. It's, um, it's very interesting how that you've only just sort of made that connection. Yeah, it no, might have made you a little bit nervous about travel. Uh, what, what you also have to bear in mind, I mean, I also have two teenage children now, and I, it does make me worry mm -hmm. about them traveling. And Obviously, they haven't been in the accident. They know about it, and I have mentioned it. <laughs> but I've also mentioned how very rare these things are, how you must be totally rational about your statistical chances of getting wound up in something like this. But yes, it does make me a little more cautious about them going out in the world. But I mean, they are, they, you know, they're typical London teenagers. They go everywhere by bus and tube and as they should. You kind of, you kind of feel that it, those things, when they happen here on this turf, you almost expect them more in other countries that don't have such a great safety record. Yeah. And also people draw, this is a really almost bordering on the racist thing I'm about to say, but you, sometimes you go to countries and you think, they don't try as well as we do. You know, they don't have the same health and safety yeah. <laughs> rules and regulations. So, you know, when you go to India or Thailand. Or so I've never been yeah. to India. And I actually, I have, I know friends who've been who just say, oh, you don't know what you're missing. is the most exciting, intoxicating place on earth. I'm, I feel it would be, I know it sounds ridiculous. I just feel it might be too much for me. I just don't think, I just don't think I could take it all in. And I do slightly, part, part of it is that contrast between abject poverty and suffering and the real affluence that is also in India. So I would I, I would struggle. Have you been to India? I have, yeah, several times. And my dad is of Indian origin, but right. he's from Fiji. Right. But it's the it is horrible seeing the the, the street children begging, mm. and also in places like Cambodia where it's really difficult. Lots of people have missing right. limbs, and yeah. you know it's heartbreaking. You kind of don't know what to do. You don't know. You want to help people, yeah. but you, you're warned against helping people. It, it's, it's confusing, and it does colour your holiday, you know, selfishly Ooh. as yeah. that is. So it becomes more of a travelling experience than a holiday, unless you're staying in one of those gilded cages that we were talking about, unless yes. you're staying in one of those big luxury and hotels. Do you say to yourself, I'm making their lives better by putting money into the local economy? Is that how... Yes, and there is that. You know, a lot yeah. of these these countries are dependent on tourism, and you know we bring a lot of money there. So mm. there is that. But then there's all sorts of complex emotions. You know, with voyeurism, and when you go to places like the Killing Fields, you know, and you're yeah. and where horrible things have happened, mm. and you, you wonder why you're going there. But there's there's many reasons about that. But you, you've started to interview me now. Sorry, <laughs> forgotten where. Sarah, I do apologise. Sarah, that's, that's what you do. What you do. <laughs> a round of applause. <laughs> I've won awards for it, you know. <laughs> so on to happier subjects. But, yes. um, where have you felt most relaxed and at peace then when you've travelled? And don't forget, travel is also in this country. It yes, have to be, well, you know, in I'm a big fan of, I think part of the reason that I love Greece so much, and I do actually, it's my favourite country, I think, apart from Britain, is that proximity to sea. And I think that is something to do with Liverpool and Crosby Beach, which is very close to where my parents now live. And obviously, with, I grew up in Crosby, which is about five miles north of Liverpool. So you, you, Liverpool city centre, you go straight up. It's on the road to Southport, and Southport is kind of old Lancashire, really. It's all sand dunes and golf courses a lot of people will know from the open golf and they've got some great golf courses up there so Crosby Beach is an amazing place and it's got the Anthony Gormley statues now sort of these these incredible 
figures gazing out to sea. And um, I really, I, I was a bit resistant to that when it was first. I thought, oh, it's just a load of rubbish. It's not going to work. But now all these incredible statues are covered in barnacles. And there's something very moving about it. And my family is a kind of typical Liverpool Irish family, people who came over, a potato famine family who would come over in about 1847, something like that. I think the Garveys came over. And my dad has done a little bit of kind of family tree work and we really were just pathetically, desperately poor. And uh, uh, if people talk about immigration now and racism and it's worth knowing, and I was quite shocked when I discovered it, that when the destitute Irish landed in Liverpool, some local populations, Liverpool was then Lancashire, would gather at, at, the, at the boats and spit at the Irish as they got off the boats. It shouldn't surprise us because people have always been racist and they've always, immigration has always been a problem. But I find it really, I just, when I look back on my, you only have to take the most casual glance at a family history as boring as my own, if you like, and immigration's there. It's in all our families. You think about it and it just seems we are all immigrants in various We are, ways. but it's astonishing how many people either choose not to know that or don't want to acknowledge it. I, I find it yeah, really, really difficult. Liverpool has begun as well to address its whole involvement in the slave trade and everything else, and that's why I think the Liverpool museums are, are really, really good at all this now, which is great, but I mean, this is a relatively recent development. So I do, I like to be beside the sea. I love Gower in Wales. I think that's a brilliant part of, of Britain as well. And the city I like uh, in Britain the most is uh, outside Liverpool and London, which I do like, uh, is Glasgow. I think Glasgow is just a, a, I think the quality of life to live. So let's say you live about 10 minutes from Glasgow city centre, you've got amazing countryside, and then you've got this extraordinary, vibrant, buzzing city, just packed with fantastic people who are full of attitude, full of energy, and just a great architecture in Glasgow as well. It's a fantastic place. It's really nice that you chose Glasgow because, you know, people, often it's the poorer cousin to Edinburgh in many yes, ways. Yes, I've been to Edinburgh. I'm, um, I'm sure Edinburgh's lovely, it's, it, it's, but it's lovely. <laughs> it's a bit... Glasgow of, has a bit more grit, doesn't it? It's more, it reminds me of Liverpool, actually, but it, it's, um, it, it does have a lot more grit and a lot more, I don't think it's unfair to say, it has a lot more personality. You're a big Liverpool fan. Have you ever travelled to see the team, apart from Istanbul well, apart in 2005, Istanbul. which was pretty um, amazing? I haven't travelled. Well, I've been to see them at Wembley. I was at the game in Wembley, the FA Cup final, when um, they wore those awful white suits and lost 1-0 to Manchester United. Liverpool fans will know exactly what I mean. It was not a good experience. They're Everton, Everton and uh, Tramier on my side of the, uh, the Wirral, I'm afraid. Yeah, sorry about that. With that. But I still have that, even though I'm from the Wirral and my dad's from Fiji, you know, immigrants on both sides because we were Irish, you know, the same as you somewhere along the line. Yeah. We had a DNA test, that's the only reason we know. My well, you've had one of those? Yeah, my mum's okay. 40% Irish. I'd love to have one of those. Well, I think I'd be 100% Irish. Probably, yeah. It yeah. wouldn't be anything else. Oh, but what I still feel, and I know that a lot of people feel this about Liverpool, you know, I can still get a tear in my eye when I think about Liverpool, when I hear Ferry Cross the Mersey, even yes. when I hear You'll Never Walk Alone, which I murdered a few weeks ago in Spain on holiday with my friend who is a a Liverpool fan, they right. actually switched off the karaoke machine and turned off the lights. I blame her, <laughs> not me. It is, it, I agree with you, I think there is, is something incredibly moving about You'll Never Walk Alone and I think when you hear the cops singing it, 
And you know, on those European nights at Anfield, which everybody goes on about, it's a bit of a cliche, but they, they're a cliche for a reason because they are incredibly moving. And when all the, uh, when the cops in full voice singing that, I defy anyone with even a tiny bit of Scouse DNA, not to be, even if you're an Evertonian, not to be quite moved. It's a city like Glasgow with proper character, proper people. And, and also, I'm of the generation that, frankly, left Liverpool. I mean, I can't deny, I haven't lived there really since I was, well, I went to university at 18, and I, I've lived there since, though not for very long. It's a long time away, and I don't, I'm not a, I don't want to be a sentimental, soppy scouser. I do go back, my parents are still alive and they still live there and, um, and they both grew up within about half a mile of their current home, so they have not, they're utterly rooted and so are all their friends, you know, all their friends are scousers in their 80s, but all those people's children, almost all, left. Exactly what happened to Ireland yeah. as well, I mean, not yeah. just historically, but well, historically has continued yes. to happen. Yeah. So after Birmingham or thereabouts, did you have, did you do the typical sort of backpacking, travelling thing? It was actually uh, in my, at the end of my first year at uni, I went on a very cheap interrail experience with some of my friends, girls and boys. And we were, we got some, for some reason, we got a ticket that only went as far as Brussels, taking in Paris and Amsterdam. It was pretty unadventurous. We obviously didn't want to, uh, it was probably me, uh, we didn't want to go anywhere too hot. So we just got as far as Brussels, where we ran out of money anyway. And I came home, I think I was only away about 11 days. I'm thinking about that now because my 18-year-old is about to go on the inevitable interrailing holiday. But things have changed. She's, in fact, to my absolute, I was really shocked. She's not taking a rucksack. She's doing it in a wheelie, a wheelie long, you know, small suitcase. I have pointed out that isn't that really isn't in the spirit of the thing. And at also, all. when she gets to the cobbled street, she's going to really regret it because they um, just bump, bump, bump. What bump, is she going to do? Bump. She hasn't addressed any of these practical issues, and of course, she's not interested in hearing my views on them either. Where and is I, she going? Well, she's she's actually meeting her friends in Budapest, and then she is my ex-husband. Her dad is half Croatian, so she's 25% Croatian, so she's squeezing in quite a lot of Croatia. I think she's dragging her mates along with her. Some of them have been to Croatia before with her, but Croatia is another, it's a, it's a beautiful place. Croatia um, is amazing, it's, yeah. having, it's really having a moment. Uh, Croatia, a bit like Greece, it's one of those places where even a normal conversation sounds like a row, and I get a bit, I'm quite mild-mannered in my real life, and on, you know, on radio I can get, I can have an argy-bargy along with the best of them, but actually in my real life I, I'm not very argumentative and I was a bit shocked by what happened in apparently everyday casual conversation in Croatia. People just go for it. And they, apparently they're talking about things like, is that your dog? <laughs> Isn't it hot today? But it just sounds like is having a dog? set too. Is it hot today? Yeah, it's amazing. It's a beautiful country though. Funnily enough, before I ask you my last question, I actually went to go travelling the world um, when I was I'd just finished university. Yeah. And I ended up in Belgium and stayed there Did for you? several months and then came home with no money. <laughs> the chips and mayonnaise are good. The chips and mayonnaise yeah. are brilliant. And I had a musician boyfriend who I was with at the time. We right. could play music in the bars for free beer. But I was gutted I never got to do that whole rap. I mean, I've been all, all the countries since, yeah, but yeah, at that yeah. time I never got to do it and ended up in Belgium. Well, I wonder if that's a thing. I wonder if there's lots of other people that have gone travelling around the world. Has somebody else written a song or a poem about this? Yeah, actually Elton John had a song called In Belgium, didn't he? Did he? Yeah. I don't What's that about? That? I don't know. Was it about Belgium? <laughs> I don't know what it was about, but 
Look it up. Well, this is a, that is a very, very uh, good segue into my last question because my last question is also always about music. All right. Um, because to me, music goes hand in hand with travel, and you end up listening. A lot of people listen to music when they're on yeah. the train, road, whatever. If you had to choose one song, and don't say in Belgium because I've never heard of it, no. uh, if you had to choose just one song that reminded you of a memorable time or place, in travel, mm. and I've got a feeling Liverpool might come into it oh, right okay. now. Yeah. What well, would actually, that song be? Sometimes when I'm coming into Lime Street Station, I've got a playlist on my phone of uh, Liverpool songs, which I think a lot of people have those sort of geographical playlists. And the story of the blues. It's, is it Pete Wiley or is it Wah? Mm. I think it's Wah. I can sing it. But... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that, is. that is my go-to Lime Street, your back home song. How does it make you feel when you're pulling into Lime Street? Quite emotional. Yeah, it's not been shut at the moment, Lime Street, isn't it? Is it? No, yes. I didn't know. Oh, yeah, you've got to change at Liverpool Parkway. And this is the other thing. So my mum is at 85 nearly, and she doesn't really have a lot of faith in me as a traveller. Uh, and so when I say I'm coming to Liverpool, she'll say, well, I mean, you've got to change at Liverpool Parkway. And you'll have to change platforms. And you just think, for God's sake, woman, I can change a platform. But... <laughs> She always says that. There's obviously that element of doubt. Thank you, poor Jane. She won't be able to manage it. She's got to change platforms. Yeah, what will she do? It reminds me of my um, my nan. I used to come up every six weeks to see my nan, but she passed away four years ago, age 99, so it wasn't right, a, a tragedy. But um, pulling into Lime Street Station, I can still see her waiting for me there. Well, actually, the, uh, yeah, well, that's really, that is, basically, that's, there's something about Lime Street. There's, um, it's quite, an, you do arrive through those, well, it's Lime, isn't it? Yeah. Is it Lime? Is that why it's that called it Lime, Street? Lime Street? Oh, those, those sort of cliffs. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know. We can find out. It's not lime trees, so it must be that. It must be, yeah. I, I never even lime thought Street? about that. Don't know. Yeah, well, they don't grow many lime trees in Liverpool. <laughs> That's wonderful. Good Thank try. you so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again, Jane, and thank you for listening to the Big Travel Podcast. Next week, we have the incredibly well-travelled Anna Hart, and the week after that, for the start of the football season, we have Kate Borsay from the Offside Rule Podcast. See you then. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.